guys, you're listening to Bento Podcast. We're a podcast series for and by millennials that talks about topics and issues surrounding our generation. And we're bringing you stories of millennials from all over the world and their journey. I'm your host, Ben, and let's get this episode started. What is up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Bento Podcast. This is episode 11 of season three, and today... We have a very special guest all the way from the States. We've got Mr. Johnny Crowder. Welcome, Johnny. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Bento Podcast, man. Howdy. Thanks for having me. All right, cool. So first, let me introduce Johnny to you guys. Uh, So, you know, to make it very, very short and very simple, Johnny Crowder is a, was, you know, a suicide and abuse survivor. He is a TEDx speaker, and most importantly, he's the founder and CEO of Cope Notes, which is a text-based mental health platform that provides daily support to users in nearly 100 countries across the globe. And basically, Johnny's a really cool guy. Ain't that right, Johnny? <laughs> I would. I think my mom would probably say something like that. He's really cool. <laughs> He wears jeans and has tattoos, and he's just a cool rocker guy. I think that's what my mom would say. Actually, a lot of guys, like, when uh, when I showed, like, who my guest would be this week, a lot of said, oh, okay, that's a cool guy. So, yeah. <laughs> I will take it. Yeah, it's definitely not just your mom. All right, so today, like, you know, we're going to discuss and we're going to dive deep into, well, not so deep, but we're definitely going to dive into a topic, which is mental health something that I think for the majority of my listeners who came from, I would say, uh, from an Asian background would have a more conservative approach to it. So today's the day we want to kind of like dig deep into it and just kind of explore and listen to Johnny's you know, stories. And so Johnny, you know, just to begin, like, could you tell us a bit about, you know, your mental health journey? Wow. This question always stumps me because I never know where to start. My story isn't <laughs> super linear, right? Like right. I, yeah, definitely. My my mental health got really bad to where I couldn't perform daily tasks like make a sandwich or or flip a light switch on or off um, in high school. But it was an issue way before that. Like I was in middle school. I was I, I wouldn't touch people. I wouldn't touch food. So my OCD was really starting to become pronounced. But before that. I had some pretty severe antisocial behaviors. I was self-harming as a toddler. So I've never really had like a normal year. I never had just a year where I got to be a kid and experience life without hallucinations or life without pain. Um, And I I don't mean to say that anyone does experience life without pain, but maybe a lot of people experience life without self-inflicted pain. So ultimately, let's just suffice it to say that working in mental health now, I am shocked that I even survived. I mean, you, you, you mentioned when you were a toddler, right? Which, you know, took me aback in a sense. So this is literally a, not just a journey, but this is a lifelong journey for you then up to this point. Like, you know, what made Johnny Crowder, Johnny Crowder today was not just a certain year or a certain part of your life. It's been literally your whole life then. Yeah, I think a question that I get a lot, actually, my TED talk, a big 
cornerstone of my TED talk is how I never really had a turning point. And that's a misconception around mental health. We're like, you know, what was that moment? What was that single moment where something broke or you realized you needed to change something or everything changed? And I was like, I've never had that. I had like a lifelong struggle with it, you know, and that might not be exciting for people to hear, you know, every movie has that really good pivotal moment, but life isn't always like the movies. And I've never really had one of those. Right. I mean, like the point of you never had a turning point that really struck me because, you know, everyone you've asked about mental health and, you know, uh, those that are sharing stories, they always kind of highlighted, you know, a turning point in their life. And, and yet you're doing the exact opposite. So could you tell us a bit more about why, like you never had a turning point? to be who you are today? I mean, I think life is not as binary and clean cut as we want it to be. So, you know, there wasn't one instance of self-harm or one failed relationship or one moment where I was acting out one of my OCD rituals that I can even place a finger on. Like it, it all blurs together and... I think telling stories of a single moment, sure, it can be powerful, but I don't think it's representative. And I don't think I'm unique in not having a turning point. I think a lot of people are experiencing this where, you know, if I ask somebody like, what was the worst day of the last year? Some people would say, oh, it was the day that my grandmother passed away. And other people would say, I have no idea. There were like 75 really bad days and they all just kind of blended together, you know? Right. So the fact that people are always expecting for this turning point, do you think like that's the wrong approach to go to then? Yeah, because we also will say stuff about recovery like, oh yeah, it'll take someone hitting rock bottom before they turn their life around. Or or even we think to ourselves like, you know, once that turning point or that eureka moment happens in my life, then I'll make a change. And it's like, dude, you might be waiting your entire life for something that will never happen. Like you shouldn't, put off if you know that there's an opportunity to improve your mental and emotional health or even to address what you're feeling the idea that you should be waiting for like a sign from god or a sign from the universe or a cue or to be pushed by somebody is just procrastination right so you know in that in that particular sense then like since you never had a turning point and you know the fact that you like I would say that everything would be anticlimactic as you'd like to you know frame it. So like what did you like how did you cope with that? Like how did you cope with your in a sense problems like step by step? Like were were there like any exact sort of uh, like thing that you do or is that like certain routine that you do? Like what was your growing process like? If you could kind of share it with us, it's. It's never about one thing. It's always about a million things. So, you know, there are some people who are like, well, I don't eat vegetables because I take a multivitamin. It's like, dude, that's not what that's for. Like you still have to eat vegetables. And I think some people think the same thing about self-care and mental health. They think, well, you know, I went to therapy for a while, so I don't need to maintain healthy relationships or I don't need to exercise or I don't need to engage in self-care. And it's just such a bad approach to take. And I tell people everything in my life is focused around becoming more mentally and emotionally fit. 
and then helping other people do the same. So from the way I brush my teeth to the way I put on my deodorant, to the way I drive, everything comes back to how do I serve my brain and heal it from a quarter century of abuse. And, you know, if the brain is the powerhouse of your entire body, the idea that you would invest in anything else just seems silly to me. Like the, your brain should be your top priority, point blank. Right. I think that's the one thing that people don't really like think of their brain, especially when we talk about mental health. Like this is something that just struck me like very, like literally this second is that we don't really talk about our brain that much, do we? Like we just talk about mental health. We like mental health, this mental health, that, but rarely we speak about like what our brain plays in all of this, like what our brain is capable in solving all of this. Don't you think? Yeah. I'm trying to think of a good analogy. I mean, imagine driving a car and I'll just use a car as an example because I have a bunch sure. of model cars on my desk. Um, <laughs> sure. Imagine like, you know, polishing the wheels and then you get a spoiler and then you add some interior trim decals and you're like getting the paint corrected, all this stuff. And then you sit in it and it won't start because you didn't put gas in it. Like right. that's what people do in their lives. They focus on all of these other things and they forget to do the most basic thing. Like without gas, your car will not start period. And without your brain cooperating with you, you will not be able to accomplish anything. It's, it's, it's not the part that you see. Of course you see people's faces and their arms and their hands and their bodies and their hair or whatever, but, you know, you don't see the gas inside of the car, but it's still the most important part if you're trying to go somewhere. Right, right. Definitely, definitely. So, you know, but sometimes don't we think like, for example, like uh, when we talk about our brain, especially when our brain is not cooperating, so to speak, like how would we how should we force them to cooperate with us? Because it's, you know, like it's like you say, it, it, like it's you, you really can't see it. It's like gas inside a car. Sometimes like you don't, you don't know, maybe it's there sometime. Maybe it's there like you don't know. You never know. So how could we make our brain cooperate? Like what, what should we do? Well, if there was a one sentence answer, everybody <laughs> in the world will be doing it. But I'll, I'll just refocus on the idea that everything you do should be focused on it. So for example, right. um, you know, do you read? If you do read, does the stuff that you read have a positive impact on right. your mental and emotional health? Do you watch movies? Are you watching movies that depict violence and anger and depression? Um, are you watching documentaries? Are you watching documentaries that make you afraid? Um, are you listening to music? Are you listening to music that brings up negative emotions inside of you. Like, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be feeling negative emotions. I'm saying you shouldn't be investing in them. And there are so many things that we do on a daily basis. Right. We maintain unhealthy relationships with people at work and in our personal life. And we drink too much. We smoke too much. We eat too much. We don't sleep enough. We don't exercise enough. And what's a shame is that all of these things have become separated from mental health culturally right. where we don't, we don't consider alcohol having an impact on our mental health, or we don't consider the music on the radio having, having an impact on it or the people we hang around with. But 
there is nothing that you interact with on a daily basis that does not have to pass through your brain. And over, you know, over time, your brain has to process so much junk that of course it's not cooperating with you. Like you got to be careful what you put in there. Right. You are what you eat, basically, you know, 100%. Right. So, you know, like talking about going a bit deeper, like basically society as, as a, you know, as a whole, because like what you mentioned just now, especially, you know, your environment and what you're feeding your brain, there's a lot of like uh, social stigma around mental health, especially, you know, in my part of the world where it's very conservative and mental health is considered as to a certain extent, a disease and not more as a, a problem to be solved. So there are a lot of people that are refusing to kind of speak up about their mental health concerns because of the social stigma. So what would you like, what do you have to say to people, these people who want to speak up, but are afraid of that social stigma? Well, I would first of all say that you're not alone. So I didn't start, you know, yes, I do public advocacy now in front of crowds. But when I started, I wasn't doing that. I couldn't even talk to my friends about what I was going through. So just know that number one, you're not alone in feeling weird about bringing this up. And number two, you don't have to start telling everybody in the world. You can start with mentioning it to a close friend or a coworker, friend or family member. Um, or even a stranger that will sit and listen to you for 10 minutes. Um, so don't think that you have to like, you know, you decide, well, I'm going to try rock climbing. And then you try to climb Mount Everest. Like there are <laughs> steps. You don't have to go straight right. to the hardest part. Yeah. But at the same time, you never know. I genuinely think that so many people are afraid to bring up mental and emotional health, but they don't realize that the other person could be waiting for them to speak about it and give them permission to share as well. So like the way I describe it to people is imagine there's this really long rickety bridge that's just rope and wooden boards and it's over this volcano. Like nobody wants to walk across that bridge. Of course they don't. But if you take those first steps and you're with somebody and they go, oh, well, you know, Jeremy did it. So I don't mind taking a step or, well, wow, like Victoria's halfway across the bridge right now. Right. If they see you and hear you talking about stress or anxiety or depression, just how you've been feeling and what you've been thinking, other people, you would be shocked to see the relief that other people feel when they go, oh, I can talk about it too. Like people are waiting for you to start this conversation. You just don't know that right now. Right. I mean, I think I, I think I can relate with that to a certain extent that a lot of people want to like say these things like they want to like really speak up, but they just they're just afraid. And like, I think the other thing about this is also like uh, the whole like how how important do you think like the role of parents is like are in this particular case? The role of parents? Yeah, basically like parents. Well, I am not a parent, so I will speak from the perspective of someone who does not have lived experience parenting. So take this with a grain of salt. I think that much like the cultural issue that you mentioned, where like culturally we're hesitant to talk about this and we have a lot of negative associations with it. Um, a family is a culture too. Like a household is a culture, especially when you're a kid and you're growing up, your entire culture is your 
family. Like, right. you know, you spend all your time in the house. You're not driving to work. You're not, you know, you're not living on your own every single right. day. You're spending right. around the same people. Right. And there's a little microcosm of culture there that can be influenced actually is constantly being influenced by those parental figures. And I would argue that it is the role of a parent to normalize conversation around mental and emotional health and make sure that they are fostering an environment where every member of the family feels that they are allowed to speak about this without getting punished or without being judged. Um, I think a lot of crises arise because people feel like they can't talk about it right. and then bottle it up for so too long and it bubbles over. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the whole bubbling over thing that def I, I've personally have witnessed that a lot myself personally, uh, not something I'm proud of, to be honest, but that's definitely something that I've seen a lot of. And I think, you know, for all the listeners who are listening, I'm pretty sure uh, you would think the same thing as well as if like, you know, you wish your parents were more open about these things and stuff. So, you know, for those, let's say for those that are not able to open up for those that are not able to kind of find someone that they can rely on, like these people that are trying to like tackle their mental health problems on their own with their own hands would you consider that as something that is possible or as something that is just overly far-fetched? I would argue that nothing is impossible, but I'll tell you, you are stacking the odds against yourself if you don't find an outlet. So for, for example, for me, right. when I was growing up, I didn't feel that I had a friend or family member that I could speak to about this, but I was able to write. So I wrote, I used to write short stories and poems. I used to journal. Um, I used to write songs. And at least I had an outlet somewhere to put that stuff. So if you are listening to this right now and you don't know who the heck you're supposed to talk to, start an anonymous blog or, you know, start keeping a diary where you write a little bit every day or start writing a story in a Word document or a Google document. Like, just find a home for it because if you don't know someone right now in your life that you can speak with about your mental and emotional health, it will not be that way forever. You will meet someone eventually that you can share this stuff with and half of it is on the other person to be receptive. No, not half of it. 10% is on the other person to be receptive. 90% is on you to become comfortable with sharing. So for me, what helped me become more comfortable was being creative and slowly giving a form and a shape to the feelings that I was feeling. Right. And apart from writing, your current, you know, uh, endeavor with music like that, would you consider that as your outlet as well? It is one of many. Yes. All right. Cool. I mean, I think music is something that I think a lot of people can really relate with. And like you said, you know, having an, an outlet, whatever it is, you know, it, it doesn't have to be writing or music, right? I mean, it could just be anything where we can just express our emotions. Maybe even, I don't know, like maybe playing video games could also be an outlet. I mean, so. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. doesn't matter what it looks like. It just matters that it feels like an outlet to you. Like, did, did you find writing to be natural for you, Johnny? Like, 
you know to be an outlet for whatever emotions you were feeling back then was it did, did it just come naturally to you back then i think so i mean it's hard to remember that was a while ago but <laughs> yeah, i've yeah, always definitely. i've always loved writing and um poems and storytelling and even reading so it felt like a very natural thing but actually something that made it feel distinctly different from speaking was your ability to edit like if you're talking to someone right in a conversation and you say the wrong thing you can correct yourself but you can't go back and unsay it but right. in a document you know if you're writing something you can scratch it out or you can delete it or start over and there's something about that feeling of autonomy, being able to edit and chop and screw and rearrange things that I think helped my brain give a shape to it. I'd type something out and I'd go, mm, that's not really what I'm trying to say. Then I'd move some sentences and delete some words and I'd go, mm, that's kind of closer. And that process of having to determine what was an appropriate way to accurately portray what I was feeling made me a lot more emotionally aware than I was before I started doing that. I see. So, you know, out of all the things that you've done over the years uh, with your, you know, your works with TEDx and now with Cope Notes, with music, do, do you have like a personal victory kind of a thing where you, you where you're most proud of, would you say? I don't know. That's a tough question. <laughs> There's a lot of victories then. Um, the, yeah, maybe. I mean, the TEDx was a bucket list thing for me. Like that's something I've always wanted to do since I was a kid. Um, so that's definitely a contender. Being able to just have that, to have had the opportunity to write, because it took like six months to write that talk. So to have the opportunity to to improve my writing, improve my speaking, and to share about mental and emotional health on a stage like that, I think it's an opportunity that I'll remember, even with my terrible memory, I will remember that forever. And it Actually, honestly stands out as a moment for me when I was truly unashamed about right. what I've experienced and what I've been through. Even after years of advocacy, there are still moments where I think, you know, I don't you know, I don't want everybody to know all my dirty laundry. And I think after the <laughs> right. TEDx talk aired, I'm like, screw it. I am who I am, you know? <laughs> true, true. And honestly, like the, the talk was really awesome, especially the part, the the reference of The Rock, like which one push-up made your body what you are. I love that part. I really do. Dude, physical and mental health are so intrinsically tied together. We try to separate them, but try to separate your brain from your body and see what happens. Honestly, I think that's true. Like we, we don't really treat them as one thing. Like, you know, like someone with a good physical health, like, you know, we would assume that they, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have good mental health and vice versa. But you personally think that they are the same thing. They are one thing. Bro, think about this. Why is it that all of your organs are considered physical health besides your brain? Like you think about your liver. You think about, wait, is your liver an organ? I think so. It is. Um, you think about <laughs> it is, yeah. like your heart or your lungs yeah. and all of that is considered physical health. And then your brain, people think, well, that's not that important. That's just mental health. That's a different category. It's like, uh, no, it's not. It is a part of your body and physical health, just like anything else. 
Right. So with that case, like if you if you want to train your like biceps and stuff, like why won't you do the same with your brain? Like, I mean, that's the logic, right? Exactly. So like moving on, like we have one, uh, we actually have one question from uh, the audience, uh, from the listener, if, you, uh, if you'd be willing to answer it. Bring it on. Cool. And thank you guys for writing questions. I love stuff like this. I know. I love these stuff as well. So this is the first question that we have, which is uh, how do we forget our traumatic experiences when we are currently facing the same condition as our trauma? Hmm. That's a pretty hard How do we, can you reread the question? Sure. So uh, he says, like, how do we forget our traumatic experiences when we are currently facing the exact same condition as the trauma that we're trying to forget? So I will preface this by saying I am not a trained crisis counselor. I am not a licensed mental health therapist. I am not a trauma coach or anything like that. But speaking as someone who has been diagnosed with PTSD and worked through PTSD treatment and experienced an extremely traumatic childhood, I want to say two things. Number one, as soon as you are able to leave that dangerous environment or report it, do it. Do not wait. Do not think you're doing yourself or anybody else any favors by waiting or postponing that. Um, the sooner you get out of that situation, the better. But the second thing I'll say, and this is this might sound harsh, but it's what I needed to hear. Wanting to forget, you're asking how to forget it, and that's the wrong question. That's that. I don't think this is my personal opinion. I don't think that that's a good goal to have. Trying to forget something that happened to you means that it has no meaning it is erased from your life and if that's the case then it happened for no reason so think about this i experienced sexual abuse as an adult if i forgot that that happened i would have never written a song for my band that impacted thousands upon thousands of rape victims all over the world who have experienced peace and closure and transformation from that song. So don't throw it away. Like, I understand that it sucks and you don't have to celebrate it, but I encourage you not to make a goal of forgetting it because the moment that you forget it, it means that you can't leverage it to create something good, which means that it happened in vain. And that is so much worse than simply experiencing trauma is knowing that no purpose came from it. If you can leverage whatever terrible experience that you are experiencing to create something positive, either if it's a change in your own life or something artistic or whatever you do with it, if you do something with it, all of a sudden you use its own negative force against itself and it becomes the fuel for a victory. That traumatic experience might not ever feel like a victory and it doesn't have to, but if you can create something from it, if you can use it as fuel, then it didn't happen for no reason. All right. Well, awesome. Like that's, uh, I think, you know, a lot of people, like you said, you know, a lot of people always try to like forget, you know, whatever terrible things that have happened to them. And personally I do as well. And after listening to your, 
you know, to your answer, it, it does make sense that like, why would we want to like forget something that's so damaging in the past and just act as if like nothing happened? All right. I think it's tempting, but I encourage you to to deal with it. Because also if you forget it, that means you'll never fully process it. You'll never fully have closure. You'll never fully heal. If you forget something completely, right? Definitely. I just, I understand why you would want to forget. I encourage you to choose a different goal, maybe to heal. Right. Okay. So I think we'll uh, move on to the next question, Johnny. So the next question we have is, Okay, let me just get this question up first. All right. So, okay, it says a lot of people these days see suicide as an easy way out. And a lot of people always try to prevent suicide by promoting this thing called positivity, which I think is just doing the exact opposite of what it's supposed to be. What are your thoughts on that? So... I want to make sure I understand the question. It sounds right. like they're asking about toxic positivity. In a way, I think it says that, yeah. So as for the suicide thing, um, I'm obviously not a fan of suicide. I think it's it's the only way to guarantee that the loss that you're experiencing right now is permanent. Um, it's literally the worst thing you could do. It, it is to, to make the temporary defeat that you are experiencing last forever. Um, so I think it is, I think it's the worst option available. Right. I didn't always feel that way, but in terms of positivity, I, I can totally see how toxic positivity does a lot of damage because what culture often tells people is like, dude, just look on the bright side. Yeah. You know, just, and we even might tell people, yeah, just forget about that old traumatic experience in your past. It's like, bro, what are you talking about? Like right. ignoring this stuff. Now I'm not saying you can't choose to see the positive side of a situation. I'm not saying you can't be optimistic. I'm saying that if someone says that they are feeling suicidal and you say, dude, be positive, you are probably not um, having the desired effect. And my opinion is this positivity is wonderful. Positivity changed my life. If you can change your mental attitude, I have PMA tattooed on my stomach all across my torso. It's huge. It's my biggest tattoo. It says positive mental attitude, PMA on my stomach. So this has been a transformative force in my life, being able to train your brain to think positively, to think healthier thoughts. That is something that you can do just like you can train yourself to ride a bike or lift weights or do whatever you want. You can train yourself to do that. However, I think our mistake with positivity is not that we encourage other people to be positive. It's that we encourage them to be positive immediately. Right. We don't give them time to process what they're going to through. We don't validate their feelings or just sit and listen. The moment someone starts complaining, we say, dude, suck it up or you're being so negative instead of just listening first. My encouragement to people is if you want someone to be positive, you need to set a positive example by walking the walk and allowing them to see you do that. But you need to listen first. No one's willing 
to be positive if you haven't heard them talk about the negative first. Right. Definitely. So for those of you who like, you know, I mean, here's the thing. I know a lot of people try to like cheers, you know, their friends up and stuff. And I, I, I get that as well. But give it time. Like, honestly, don't just, you know, barge in and try to like lift the guy up, you know, even before he's sitting down. Like, you know, let him let him move up first before like let him get up first before trying to like you know forcing him to stand up take time <laughs> take it slow it'll work mm-hmm. all right so johnny like after all of this you know like would you say that cope notes is like the culmination of your i would say all your journey so far like your lo- lifelong journey would you think like cope notes is like the like you know the creme de la creme of all of this I think it's the fruit of it. Like, remember I was saying, you know, if you go through all this awful stuff and you don't create something, then it happened for no reason. Right. Like being able to leverage that. I'm not saying you have to create something for other people. I encourage you to do that. Um, But Cope Notes is that for me. It's okay. You take a quarter century of, of torment, like literal torture, like waking, living, nightmarish conditions, 24 seven, constant pain and hurt. How do you leverage that lived experience to create something that will help alleviate that for other people? And let me tell you something, you can't, I'll just say this, it's so much easier to help someone else with their pain if you've felt a similar pain. So Cope Notes is designed to address all of the different pains that I've felt that I've learned that other people have felt as well. All right. So, you know, first of all, uh, Johnny, I'd like to say, you know, thank you very much for coming on to the show today. And basically, you've, you know, telling us all these great, you know, advices and just, you know, just straight up facts about things that about mental health that a lot of us would miss out. And a lot of us would think of it in a differently. But I think you really shone like, a really different light on mental health today. So thanks a lot, man. I I really appreciate that. Yeah, I am happy to be here. And just in case anyone is curious about Cope Notes, a common question I get on um, international shows is, you know, does Cope Notes work in other countries? The answer is yes. If you speak English, um, we can serve you. So please go to the Cope Notes website and take a peek. And we never really covered what Cope Notes does but essentially it uses daily text messages to improve mental and emotional health it's a way to train your brain to think in healthier thought patterns so if you are interested go to copenotes.com there's lots of information on the website and there's even a podcast there as well if you want to do some more listening and also don't forget to check out prison on spotify and apple music as well that's johnny's band right johnny and yeah buddy all right if you like if you like rock if you like metal music please go check them out. I've listened to them. They're really, really good, especially the lyrics, you know, especially for those, if you think you can really relate with music, I think, you know, you really have to check them out for sure. Definitely. All right, buddy. Thank you so much. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you so much, man. Honestly, like, you know, we like on behalf of all my listeners, just like to thank you so much for setting aside time and uh, really just being, you know, very simple, very straightforward and very honest. Thanks a lot, man absolutely all right well guys thank you very much for those of you who have tuned in and those have asked questions as well thank you very much as always i'm sorry if there are more questions that couldn't be answered because of time like i've said uh over and over again 
But yeah, thanks so much for tuning in this week, guys. And I'll see you again next week. All right. See you guys. Bye-bye.